Okay, well, we will start with prayer because we definitely need it this morning. Father, uh, thank you for this time uh, to look at your word, Lord, to, to see your promises, Lord, to know that you uh, give us hope, Lord, a blessed hope, and uh, that we can look forward to you, Lord, and your any time coming. And we just pray that you would uh, bless this time, Lord. We thank you for the moisture that you've given us. We thank you for the sunlight that preceded it. And we thank you for your son who saves us. In Jesus Christ, amen. Okay. Okay. All right. Today, I thought it'd be interesting <clears throat> to take an abbreviated look at the uh, topic of imminency and its relationship to the next coming of Jesus Christ. Um, the concept of the imminent coming of Christ is significant for multiple reasons. Still getting a little feedback. Uh, number one, uh, the scriptures teach it. Um, also, it gives us motivation to be prepared and to be ready. And then also it influences our Christian living as far as our priorities and activities and goals. And it is also a strong uh, inference for a pre-tribulation rapture. Here at uh, Bernie Bible Church, uh, I don't know if you've looked at our statement of faith, but we have it. Uh, uh, article number 11 addresses this very topic. And so this is what we at uh, <clears throat> Bernie Bible Church, church as a local church body, this is what we believe that the Bible teaches. Let me just read it for you. We believe in the personal and premillennial and imminent coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and that this blessed hope has a vital bearing on the life and service of the believer. Now that's a little bit wordy when you first look at it until you realize something, that it's speaking of more than a single event. It's talking about the coming of Christ, but it's not a single event. As we break it down, we see, first off, that we believe in a personal coming of Jesus Christ. That means we believe that He Himself is coming, that He's not sending angels or anyone else. And it's, his coming is personal and that uh, it is not spiritual. It's not allegorical and it's not metaphorical. Jesus will be coming bodily, literally, in his glorified resurrected body. We see then that the coming is broken down into two, premillennial and imminent. And these are not speaking of the exact same event. Premillennial is referring to Pre means before, and millennial is a thousand. This is before his thousand year uh, return to earth to rule and to reign from on earth. And imminent is something else. And this imminent coming of Christ is what we're going to focus on today. And the statement of hope is called a blessed hope. And it has a bearing on the way we live. And that blessed hope is for believers alone. So, let's, let's just have some preliminary thoughts first. Uh, we're going to focused, focus on the meaning of the word eminent. Now, it stems from the Latin word, em, verb, emineo 
or emanir, which means to project or to overhang, uh, kind of like an overhanging boulder. It has with it the concept of it's, it's threatening and could be menacing. But in light of this, we get the English word imminent, which can be understood as something, or in our case, some event, hanging over one's head, ready to befall or overtake someone. And it is close at hand in incidents. So an imminent event is one that is always close at hand. It is always near in the sense that it could happen at any moment that is without unnecessary delay. Now, does this mean then that an imminent event will occur immediately or uh, very shortly in time? Well, although the event could be immediate, it does not have to be, and it may not be. With imminent, you, we're speaking of something that is liable, but not necessarily likely to happen immediately. Well, then a person might say, yeah, but Jesus himself says that he's coming soon, right? And we see that in this verse. Uh, in Revelation uh, 22, chapter, uh, excuse me, in Revelation 22, uh, verse 20, Jesus says, he who testifies to these things, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, some translations may say quickly versus soon. But soon is really a relative term. If somebody is microwaving, uh, microwaving popcorn, for instance, soon might mean within the next three minutes, right? Uh, on the other hand, if a couple is expecting a baby, soon can mean anything up to nine months. Yet Jesus himself says he's coming soon or quickly. And in the book of Revelation, he does it five times. And those are found in Revelation 2, verse 16, 3, 11, and in the chapter of 22, in verses 7, 12, and 20. Now, because the book of Revelation was written nearly 2,000 years ago, many people today wonder what Jesus meant by soon. Well, to help us understand, then, we need to look at the Greek word, and I'm sure I'll butcher the pronunciation, tachu. And uh, it, this is the word that's translated soon or quickly in these Revelation passages. And we see that this word is uh, translated soon, quickly, but it, that it means different things. It means suddenly, rapidly, and without unnecessary delay. Suddenly, in that once it begins, it's going to proceed in a very rapid succession. Uh, we also get the English words like tachometer, which is a device in your car that measures your RPMs. And we get uh, tachycardia in medical terminology, which refers to a rapid pulse. So we see that uh, Greek uh, prefix uh, in several places. But it does, not, it does not mean immediately. It does not mean very shortly in time. Now the meaning used by Jesus seems to be that the events have been set in motion that will usher in his arrival. And that is without unnecessary delay. In other words, everything is moving along according to God's timetable. But we don't know exactly when that will happen. Jesus himself said, no man knows of this time, no man knows. And that's in Matthew 24, 36, which we'll look at in just a bit. Now, in response uh, to a question that is asked in 2 Peter a little earlier than the verse I'm showing, 
uh, the question is, where is the promise of his coming? And we see Peter's response here. And in it, we're going to get some insight into why the Lord hasn't returned yet. So let me just read this. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so Peter is assuring us that God is not dragging his feet when it comes to prophetic events, and that God's timing is perfect. This passage explains that God's plan is advancing. Jesus is coming soon, and the only apparent delay or necessary postponement is to allow for all of the elect, that is, those who will be saved, to be saved. So this apparent delay of which Peter speaks actually equates to the completion of of God's church, of Christ's church. And we need for that to happen before we can be removed, right? And as a side note, then let me say, believers are often referred to as the elect. But we should not be troubled by terms like elect or predestination or uh, foreknown or chosen. Remember, one of God's attributes is that he's omniscient, right? He knows everything. He's seen the end from before the foundation of the world. And the truth is God cannot separate himself from his attributes. In fact, he's prepared a kingdom for his redeemed people, those who are in Christ, even before the foundation of the world. Matthew 24, verse 35 makes that clear. Then the king will say to those on his right, this is the separation of the goats and the sheep, those on the right, or the believers prior to entering his thousand-year kingdom. He says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And because God knows the end from the beginning, he foreknew those who would receive the salvation he prepared for everyone. According to his foreknowledge, just as Charlie said last week, those who would receive him he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And we should not go beyond what the Word tells us. That passage is recorded in Romans 8, and I'll read that now. Romans 8, verses 28 through 30, Paul speaking said, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called. There's that that concept, elect, called, according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, any comments or thoughts to this point? Anybody? Okay. Yes. right. We'll actually look at that (coughs) scripture in a minute. (coughs) Excuse me. So at this point, I think it would be good (coughs) good to distinguish between the second coming of Christ proper and the next coming of Christ, also referred to (coughs) 
as the rapture or removal of the church. Okay, now, in his first coming, Jesus came to earth as a baby, right, in a manger in Bethlehem, just as it was prophesied in the Scripture. Jesus fulfilled many of the Old Testament prophecies in his birth, in his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. However, there are some prophecies regarding the Messiah of Israel that Jesus did not fulfill, that is, has not fulfilled yet. The second coming of Christ will be the return of Jesus to fulfill all of these remaining prophecies. Now, just as the Old Testament prophets did not clearly see or make the distinction between the two comings of the Messiah, that is, the first and the second, the writers of the New Testament give us details of Christ's return which, when taken together, do not harmonize into a single event. For example, there are scriptures that tell us the second coming of Christ proper is when he defeats his enemies, returns with his saints, and sets up his 1,000-year earthly kingdom. This does not occur until after numerous other end-time events have taken place. We first read of that in Daniel chapter 9, the 70th week of Daniel, which uh, translates to the seven years of tribulation. Jesus himself spoke of this in what's called the Olivet Discord in Matthew, Discourse in Matthew 24. And then in the book of Revelation, chapters 6 through 18, give us some great detail into what these event, events look like. Therefore, the second coming proper is not imminent, but it is premillennial, just as we read in our statement of faith. Now, in contrast, many other scriptures refer to and imply an any-moment return of Christ. And this is associated with Christ's receiving and removal of His church, both living and dead saints, to heaven. I prefer to think of this as His next coming, and it can rightly be called imminent. And we have scriptural evidence for this. Uh, there are several passages that speak directly of or allude to the removal of the church or the rapture. That is Christ's next coming, and we'll look at that first. Then in a little bit, we're going to look at a few other New Testament scriptures that demonstrate the expectation which is associated with Christ's imminent coming. I believe uh, that a straightforward reading of the Bible should lead the reader to conclude that the New Testament church and the apostles like uh, John and Peter and Paul, that they had a fervent expectation that although it might not happen for a long time, Christ's next coming could take place at any moment. Okay, first let's look at just a couple of passages that speak of the rapture event itself. And the first one we'll look at is John 14, verses 1 through 3. And this is Jesus speaking uh, at the Lord's Supper uh, in the upper room. Jesus said to the disciples, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house. Now, where is that? In heaven. There are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you in the Father's house. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, personal, personally, and receive you to myself. We go to him. That where I am, the Father's house, there you may be also. The next uh, passage I want to look at is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. And it says, 
This is Paul writing now to the Thessal Thessalonian believers. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. Now this is another word for dead. Uh, so, but it's applied to believers. So that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him. He's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Absent from the body is present with the Lord, right? For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord will descend from heaven personally with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead of Christ will rise first, meaning they will be resurrected. Their bodies will rise from the graves. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. We go to him to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Any thoughts or comments so far? Okay. Next. Because of the many warnings and exhortations which are found in the New Testament to be ready, to be consciously aware and prepared, we should consider that there is a practical relationship between imminent and expectant. So the term imminent is an adjective used to describe the nature of an event. And as I previously mentioned, imminent depicts the kind of an event that is always hanging overhead and that could happen at any moment. Alternatively, the term expectant is an adjective used to describe people's attitude toward an event, as in looking forward to or looking out for. Now, admittedly, it's possible to have such an attitude toward events that are either imminent or non-imminent. But with regard to Christ's next coming, no one can know or predict exactly when he will come for his church. This is what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 uh, through 39. Let me read that. Jesus said, this is part of the Olivet Discourse, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man, one of his favorite titles, will be just like the days of Noah. Interesting. For, is, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they, unbelievers, did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus here, he compared his coming, or parousia in this verse, to the time just before Noah and his family entered the ark and were saved from God's judgment, the judgment of the flood. In a similar way, we should live in the expectancy, just like Noah, that the Lord may come at any moment. And indeed, I think this seems to be the point that Jesus uh, makes and, that, and the reason why he's not being more specific. Evidently, God desires that every generation of believers live with a constant and conscious awareness that the Lord could suddenly appear. And we, believers, might have to give an accounting of the way he finds us. The point is that Christians should have an expectant attitude towards Christ's coming, knowing that while other things may happen 
before he comes. Nothing must happen before the event. The reason being is something must first happen, then the event is not truly imminent. All right. Now let's, let's look at what the New Testament teaches regarding the imminent coming of Christ. The truth is that many Bible scholars have searched the matter and concluded that the New Testament does indeed teach the eminency of Christ's coming. It's also fair to say that this conclusion is, has been reached regardless of their belief on the timing of the rapture, which really doesn't make sense to me. But I would like to take time to look at a few verses from the New Testament to see if the concept of eminency and an associated attitude of expectance is present. So we will start with 1 Corinthians 1.7. And here Paul has been thanking God uh, for his grace uh, in enriching the Corinthians, both in their speech and in their godly knowledge. Further, he's thanking uh, the Lord uh, that they were not lacking in any spiritual gifts. But in this verse, you can begin to see Paul doesn't hide an ever-present uh, attitude and concern that the Corinthians should await the Lord's imminent return. He says, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Revealed in this passage is another word uh, sometimes translated coming. It is apocalypsis, uh, which is uh, the same title as the, the book of Revelation. Next, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Let me read this. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, the context of this verse is in a passage that runs from 1 Corinthians 3, 8 to chapter 4, verse 5. And this section of Scripture um, addresses Christ's judgment of believers' works, uh, known as the Bema or judgment seat. And it is a time of rewards, not condemnation. This verse, verse 5, being the conclusion of the topic, then lets the reader know that Paul lives with the expectation of the imminent coming again of Christ and its association with the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. Any comments? Okay. Now, let's look at another passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 52. Now, this is one of the major passages that's believed to be directly pertaining to the removal or rapture of the church along with John 14, 1-3, and 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13-18 through 18, that we've already uh, read. Let me read this. It says, uh, and this is Paul speaking, Now I tell you a mystery. Now this is something not previously revealed in Scripture. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. Okay. As we read this passage, we begin to understand uh, some things. Number one, we understand that believers 
are still subject to physical death. But we also read, and I believe it's readily apparent, that Paul had an imminent expectation of Christ's coming, and this expectation includes the fact that the fate of physical death will not overtake all Christians. How about that? Now, in addition to these verses, uh, we are also given a very practical demonstration of the concept of imminency. Why is that? First off, when Paul uses the pronoun we, who is it that is included? Who, who is it that he's directly addressing? Believers, the Corinthian believers, uh, yes, and including himself, right? Uh, when he says um, that uh, we shall not all sleep, that is, we shall not die, he, die all die, he's including himself in the, that possibility. But now, in looking back from our vantage, we know that Paul and all of these early believers have indeed passed on to be with the Lord, right? Does that mean that the scripture then was an error when he wrote it? Of course not. Remember, just because an event is imminent and could happen at any moment does not mean that it must happen at any moment. And therefore, Paul's imminent expectation has passed on to us. In fact, if we go back uh, to Paul's introduction in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, after he uh, addresses the Corinthian believers, in verse 2, we read on that we're included in his audience when he says, together with all those everywhere, that's us, uh, who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And this is what characterizes uh, eminence. One scholar said that the simple fact is that Paul did not know when Christ would return. And he was in the exact position in which we are. All that he knew and all that we know is that Christ may come at any moment. In other words, his coming is imminent. Next scripture we'll look at is Philippians 3 and verse 2, which says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, the word translated here, we begin to see this showing up in some of these scriptures, don't we? Eagerly, eagerly await. It's a very strong compound word in the Greek. And it, and it uh, emphasizes an intense yearning to see Jesus at his coming. In fact, the first part of this compound word, the intense, implies disregard of, of other things and a concentration on only one object. Intense yearning. Now, once again, we also see that Paul includes himself when he writes the words our and we, meaning that this is also his attitude. And we move to another scripture, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 10. Let me read this. Here again we see this waiting, this expectant waiting. And to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And uh, in Vine's expository dictionary, uh, it is stated that this is the only place in the New Testament where to wait for is used. 
Now here the word uh, carries with it the suggestion of waiting with patience and confident expectancy. It's also been said that uh, the uh, nearness of an expected event, and we'll see nearness in another passage in a minute, but the nearness of an expected event is implied by the very idea of waiting for it. And please notice this, that the believers waiting for Jesus, the Son, is directly linked to His delivery, delivering us from wrath, right? In other words, we wait expectantly for Christ, not the Antichrist, and not the tribulation. Those are not what we're looking for. Any comments? All right, another great scripture, Titus 2.13. Here again, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here the phrase looking for is used again of Christian expectation. Now the hope spoken of in this verse is referred to as blessed. It makes you joyful. It makes you happy. It is a hope not merely wished for, but one that is assured. Indeed, the blessed hope and the appearing of Jesus are one and the same event. His coming, His imminent appearing is the hope of all believers, present company included. In the context of chapter 2 of Titus that precedes this verse, the focus is on uh, being prepared, living soberly, and uh, through righteous and godly lives, such that thir uh, verse 13 may be seen as our motivation for doing so. And this makes sense. Why should Christians always be prepared and ready by their living for Christ's coming unless that coming could take place at any moment. Okay, and so there are many other verses in the New Testament that point to the imminency of Christ's coming and how believers should be prepared, speaking of how we live, our Christian walk, and how we should be eagerly waiting for and expecting to see our Savior. But I'm going to look at just one final uh, verse here, and I'll finish with it. Uh, another uh, New Testament passage in James. Uh, chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, and I'll just read it. Therefore, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brothers, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And it's important to note, although the letter of James is written to um, Jewish Christians, it it's indeed a message for all believers. Now, in a similar way in which we saw in Titus chapter 2, 13, James here has tied two, uh, two things together, patient Christian expectancy and Christian behavior. And he credits the nearness or the eminency of Christ's coming, again parousia, as the reason for doing so. And by example, James highlights the farmer, the one who represents the essence of patience, 
the application for the believer appears clear. Just as the farmer then waits for God's provision in the needed early and late rains, every believer should exhibit patience and stand firm because the Lord's coming is sure and it is near. Knowing this should be the stimulus to be prepared in our lifestyle, to be patient and to be persistent in that patience. Brother James uh, says, don't complain. That is, stop groaning and murmuring like I was this morning when I was cleaning the barn, uh, lest we be judged. Uh, why? Because the very judge of all things is standing right at the door, Jesus. Now with, with that in mind, meaning that Jesus' imminent coming, with that in mind, believers are to cease all petty conflicts. Just like James refers to earlier in his book, chapter 4, all of those things that we get boggled uh, down with. And this points up the picture then that the imminent judgment, the Bema seat, which is, is associated with Christ's coming, uh, it should be as much of an incentive to patience and preparedness as the coming of Christ himself, himself uh, to, get, to receive the church. That judgment seat, uh, as I said, is referred to in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 10. And so we have these reasons. And so it is, I think, that imminency, the imminency of Christ's coming um, is an important truth. Reason being that it's taught in the Scripture. Uh, and it is a stimulus for us to be ready, to be prepared, to be waiting in anticipation of the blessed hope which is promised to us. Uh, it is an influence for our Christian living, our priorities, activities and goals, and it is a significant, it has significant inference for a pre-tribulational rapture. Okay, any comments? Jim. Shaq, this may be sort of a naive question, but um, the way imminency is talked about through scripture, that means there's no, nothing else, no other events that we need to mark in time before the tribulation. So doesn't that mean, or doesn't that preclude Not everybody sees it that way. <laughs> I don't know. The, you know, there is the one thing I pointed up as a necessary postponement, and that is the completion of the church. And that's what uh, Peter addresses in Second Peter when he says God is not uh, anxious. He's not uh, slow to react. He is patient. He's waiting for everyone who will believe the gospel in, in this age in which we live to do so so that that church can be removed. It has to be completed before it's removed. Is that, a, a, is that truly a postponement, or is that something that is concurrent with him removing us? I, you know, I suspect it's very close to the same. Yeah, Lukey. I think what's really valuable is to look at the, the imminency and to ask, like, what's the nature of, of his coming being imminent? Like, why is it imminent? And the answer is because like, he has completed everything. And so it's not just this arbitrary, like, he will come. And I think that's the context that when we look at things in terms of, like, be patient. Why? Is that the reality that we live in today is that we, we have a provision that didn't exist before Matthew 1. Those people had a, a existence that we don't share, where they could have 
been saying, like, what's keeping you, Lord? Right. But the reality is, is that we have a, a present abiding life that they don't have that was finally returned at Pentecost. And so it's the it's because it is finished, therefore his his coming is imminent. And I think that's the, the thing that why we do look forward with expectancy and with excitement to appreciate that when we look back through scripture, there are huge sections of scripture mm-hmm. where we have a completion that they were looking forward to. Right. So in that sense, like not in the biblical end time sense, but in the modern sense of like being a millennial who has all this stuff but just mm-hmm. blinds because like, are you kidding? I have to work two hours a day. Like that kind of like we we do not appreciate how much we have being given. The richness that we walk in that those believers in the Old Testament would have been like, are you kidding? You have the Spirit? Yes. And you're complaining about this? Right. But even in that, like we have his grace for for that patience that is expected of us. You know, we can look around sometimes at at the times in which we live, you know, and if you're like me, you can kind of get, you know, depressed and go, this is, this is so awful. My parents, if they were living now, I mean, what would they think? They couldn't comprehend this. And yet, this is the most exciting time there is in the world to be living. Several of the uh, authors in the New Testament looked at, they would tell you we were in the end times right now, in these last days, Peter says. In Hebrews, it speaks of we are in the last days. And so things are, things are moving right now. We just don't see it. And God is not dragging his feet. Kevin, I know you want to say something. Yeah, so uh, this is maybe not on the same topic, but maybe it's kind of related. I, I, I'm not positive, but I believe the early and late rains are a um, kind of a clue about the first and second coming mm-hmm. of Christ. The early rains are the spring rains, and they're the sprinkling, mm-hmm. and I believe that's the Holy Spirit coming in mm-hmm. and the last rain is the gathering. It comes from a verb that means gather. That's right. And so I think, and it points back to Deuteronomy, which is where that is referenced as well as other places in the Old Testament right. that talks about the first and the last rain. And I think that's a big um, uh, encouragement to us to say, hey, this is Christ. He's been prophesied all along the coming twice. It's not, you know, because the Jews, I never saw that, you know, until the time of the disciples, never saw that the Messiah was supposed to die. Mm-hmm. To me, it's such an encouragement, and, and it encourages me that, hey, we need to be preparing for the gathering, you know? That's right. The time when Christ returns, that's going to be... So we are comforting ourselves with these words, right? Because of this expectancy that we've got. Um, So much. uh, It was misinterpreted in the Old Testament regarding him him coming. They actually thought at one point, the rabbis thought there would be two messiahs. uh, You know, and they were expecting Jesus to begin his rulership right then and there. And so, you know, they're partially blinded right now. And that's all part of this too. Uh, You know, there's a term in the... Uh, scriptures, the fullness, till the fullness of the Gentiles become in. I thought, well, maybe that's the completion of the church. One second, Ann. But the more I look at it, there are going to be plenty of Gentiles saved during the time of tribulation. But how long Israel's eyes are blinded, right now they're in part, but how long, it almost goes right up to the end of the tribulation, like hours, days before 
that they're going to open their eyes and say, they, they want, they're going to invite the Lord. They're going to be regenerated right before he comes to, to save them from absolute destruction. And so the fullness might be going up to there. Uh, it'd be nice, uh, you know, to be able to say, well, this, this means the completion of the church. I can't say that. But the, the church does have to be completed, you know, somewhere. Adrian Rogers used to say, somewhere, some little church service, some little redheaded kid's going to walk up, to the, uh, up the aisle and say, I want Jesus. And he's going to be the last one. And that's it. The church is full, you know, and then we, so it's not really a delay, though, I don't think. I think that's what has, is going to happen, and when that happens, we're out of here. Any other? Ann, I was going to call you. I am not prepared to answer that. <laughs> Anybody else? Carol. Well, just the last month, and I, I'm coming back to my church background, but you know, the synagogue, they blow the trumpet, and that first one is like, okay, you need to come inside because those doors are going to shut. This was in the camp in the wilderness in the Exodus. Right. Now is the day of salvation. Sorry? Now is the day of salvation. Everything y'all have brought up is a lesson in and of itself. Uh, this is just a cursory overview. Uh, but it is a blessed hope. And it is something to look forward to. It does uh, make us think about how we're living. And I was serious about my, you know, considering my poor situation this morning because my wife is gone this weekend and I have to take care of the horses but and then you know it's like what are you going to be talking about today look at yourself so yeah you know, it, it's really encouraging you know we see our circumstances uh, world falling apart yeah but uh, we know it's it's all the more it happens you know the closer it is to the right that's why these times are so exciting I mean Paul, if you'd have asked him, do you think you're going to not die and go straight to him? He would have said, sure. I, you know, it, it's not absolutely, but it's totally possible. Loogie, would you close this, please? Father, we thank you so for your faithfulness, your pursuit, and your provision of us, that with everything that we look forward to, we have a certainty and an absolute and inevitable hope. We praise you that it is entirely because of what you've done, the completeness with which you've wrapped everything up. And we thank you that the needs and the weaknesses that we have, you supply those out of all of your richness. We thank you that while we wait, we wait with assurance and comfort. And we pray that as we go about whatever pedestrian tasks we have during the week, that those who are lost would be able to see and hear from you and receive that same hope and that same blessing. Jesus. Amen.